Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 214. Those who want to achieve something will always look for a way. Those who just want to talk about it will look for an excuse. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Dennis Palatov. Dennis, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely, Mark. The key's in the ignition. We're ready to go. All right, great. Dennis Palatov is the owner of Palatov Motorsport, founded in 2008 and operating in Portland, Oregon. There, he and his talented team design, manufacture, and market lightweight, high-performance vehicles, parts, accessories, primarily targeted at recreational track day and street use. His company philosophy focuses on innovative, lean, and efficient design, coupled with an excess of power and performance. And we'll learn a little bit today about some amazing vehicles that they create and build there. Dennis, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your history, your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Mark, the interesting thing is I've been an automotive enthusiast pretty much as long as I can remember. Age four or five, I've been doodling cars and trying to figure out how they work. And I grew up in Russia uh, where cars were really not common at the time. I mean, they were out there, of course, but they were a luxury item. Uh, Very few people had them. Uh, There were only a couple state-produced choices. And very little information was available on the Western cars. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to – actually, there was a road – where tourists would come into the city of St. Petersburg or Leningrad back then uh, from Finland. And sometimes I would sit by the road for hours just waiting for a Western car to go by and try (laughs) to identify it. So my family moved to the U.S. when I was 15. And it was, of course, a big culture shock. But one of the interesting things to me, especially as a car guy uh, or an aspiring car guy, was that America is really built around the automobile. For somebody who was born here, it's kind of an obvious thing. But uh, somebody coming from another culture, you know, where I grew up, cars are luxury item. Kind of um, not many people have them, uh, status symbol, luxury, and uh, a bit of a burden also. Kind of 
like I guess horses are here now. You know, people have a horse and uh, they <laughs> yeah. have to take care of it. <laughs> sure. And suddenly we're in a place where car is a necessity. You kind of have to have one to get around. Right. And so it was a pretty big and exciting change for me. And, of course, I spent countless hours researching everything, and I came up even with this low-tech spreadsheet kind of a thing on a notebook. Didn't have computers back then. It was 1980, or at least not personal computers. So we ended up with a Chevy Caprice, and um, I got my license in it at the age of 16. And, of course, the very first unsupervised outing without my mother in the car, I promptly spun the thing in the parking <laughs> lot. Fortunately, it didn't hit anything. Yeah, but, good for uh, you. <laughs> it was a start to a rather spotty um, driving career early on. This was in Kansas City. We moved to Cleveland shortly after that, and there really wasn't much available in terms of racetrack. I did all of my kind of car stuff learning um, on the streets, which looking back on it was really, really dumb, and uh, it's kind of a miracle I survived some of it. <laughs> but also these days, anytime um, you know, I talk to car enthusiasts who have teenagers or kids growing up, and they ask for advice, like, first thing, get them on the track get them some proper coaching you know it's yes. uh, yeah it's amazing how much there is to learn i really enjoy learning this is what the whole journey is really about is learning new things and uh my blog has a lot of the stuff i kind of started keeping that accidentally uh when i got uh the sport 190 elise which really was kind of an impossible feat at the time and i just wanted to share that with friends and my family back east and so i just created a very simple web page with some pictures and it's really just progressed from that the blog was done one page at a time very very simple html nothing fancy and it stays that way but now there is uh, i don't know a couple of weeks worth of reading in there <laughs> whenever there's time to kill there is something to read in there yeah you know what's great about your journey is uh, you're right in america here the car is so integral but i love the the idea because cars has a bit about entrepreneurship and the fact that you can take your passion and wrap a vocation around it so you have this company where you build these amazing cars i mean from a kid who came here at 15 and this huge culture shock and started driving and now you got this business uh, and how did you get to that point well, not directly, actually. So in 1980s, early 80s, computers were just coming along. And so when I went to college, that was the natural path to follow. I had an interest in computers and something that I was fairly good at. So that's kind of what I stuck with as a career choice. And I did that for 20 years, actually. Um, graduated with a degree in computer engineering. And I've done chip design and motherboards and written operating systems, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, I've always kind of wanted to have cars, and I tinkered with them. I had the Lotus Europa that I rebuilt and the Fiat. They progressed from junkers to slightly nicer cars, but it was always a hobby, and my vocation was the computer stuff. And I moved to California, Orange County, and spent some time there, and... Around 97, 98, there were some big changes in my life. Uh, my first marriage ended, and I was kind of examining what do I really want my life to be. It mm -hmm. was, uh, I took it as an opportunity, and I realized I've done pretty much everything I cared to do with computers. It didn't, I mean, there was, of course, a lot of things one could do, but it just didn't hold an interest to me anymore. Uh, and things were getting too complex, and... 
uh, was kind of tired of California. I, I watched them build 22,000 homes in the space of five years in Orange <laughs> County. Yes. And <laughs> I just kind of decided to uh, become part of the solution, stop being part of the problem, move somewhere else. And, uh, of course, Northwesterners don't really care for Californians moving up. But, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, now that the shoe's on the other foot, I'm kind of like that. But uh, Yeah, I experienced that when we moved up here to the Northwest from Southern California 21 years ago. So <laughs> Yeah, and now I can kind of see that. And I consider myself a Northwesterner through and through now. And it's really been life-changing to me in many ways. Portland, and one of the reasons I chose Portland, it's the only city in the U.S. with a city-owned racetrack, and it's about 15 minutes from downtown. Everything is accessible. There is great roads around, and there is an amazing car culture here. It's not in your face like it is in California. In California, everybody wears cars like jewelry, but here, there is really a depth of enthusiasm, and you'd never know it's here unless until you kind of take the effort to find it. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a, a friend of mine that I met has, for example, a collection of Group B rally cars. You know the famous uh, Killer Bees, oh, yeah. and it's just and it's just in a you know little warehouse somewhere, and he keeps it hidden away and takes them out every now and then. And there's lots of people like that. I was kind of shocked to find out that you know Ferrari made what like 300 Enzos, and two of them live in Portland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of that way up here. I live in Gig Harbor, but Seattle's just north. And coming from <laughs> Southern California, where you'd go to the grocery store and see 20 Porsches lined up, and Bentleys and Rolls Royces and Ferraris, and up here you just don't see it as much. The weather may have a part of that, but people don't, as you say, wear their cars as much. But there's an amazing following of automotive enthusiasts up here it's incredible yeah yeah. and motorcycles too and you wouldn't think that with the weather but it's kind of it's kind of crazy so basically when i moved to portland i still did some computer consulting but i really decided to jump into the automotive life this is uh, something i've always wanted to do and i decided i was just going to do it and i bought a car that has really been pivotal it's an odd one it's a bmw m coupe Mm, and yeah. among us owners, it's known as the clown shoe <laughs> because it kind of looks like one. And it really, what I found is it takes a very special person, a certain kind of person to want to own one and I guess be seen in one even. And they're wonderful cars. And the BMW ad at the time was it's a lot like nothing else. And it's absolutely true. Whoever wrote that ad uh, deserves a medal of some kind. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that a lot of my friends, my closest friends, are I met through MCOOP ownership, and some of them still have them. I, still, I don't have mine, unfortunately, anymore, but will again. Partners, our key investor in the company, a couple other partners, Tristan, who is uh, our shop manager, I met through MCOOP ownership. His dad had one. So it's really kind of interesting how everything, you know, a lot of important things in my life have evolved from that. Mm-hmm. And generally, when I moved to Portland, uh, I didn't know anybody here. I kind of made connections through my hobby. Uh, So most of the people that uh, I've met here have been through cars. I guess it's a part of uh, making a choice to kind of associate with people who share at least some of my interests and passions. And it's been extremely rewarding. I even met uh, my wife at the track, and she's now a partner in the business and shares in all of the adventures, uh, the automotive stuff, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a transformation. I didn't start out uh, living the dream, but I certainly do now. And it has its challenges, but 
yeah, yep. it's it's been incredible. Fantastic. I love it. Well, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. It's a really great way to get our inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Dennis, take the wheel. Well, I'm a very introspective person. I always try to examine what I do and why and how, and I come up with a lot of sayings and mantras and things to guide me and kind of keep myself honest. And the most important one is that I realized by observing myself, really, is that those who want to achieve something will always look for a way. Those who just want to talk about it will look for an excuse. Hmm. How have you incorporated that into your business and your life? Well, it's with anything I do, I basically, that's the first question I ask myself. Okay, here's a challenge. What's my first reaction? Do I go, well, how do I solve this? And if this doesn't work, well, how about this? How about that? Or do I say, well, I would, but, and then look for an excuse. And that really helps me focus my energy. If it's something I want to do, I'm just going to go and do whatever the hell it takes to do it. If it's something that you know my inner self responds to kind of lukewarm and say well i would but then maybe my energy is best focused elsewhere and it's been it's been a very good thing to guide myself and also kind of to gauge people's interest and who i so i associate with and uh, anything from vendors to customers what's their response to what am I, to what i'm proposing or to something we're talking about. Do they want to find a way or do they want to find an excuse? You talked about being a little kid in Russia sitting on that highway waiting for American cars to come by. Is there a pivotal moment in your life that really instigated your passion for cars? That moment as you remember it that you really knew you were a car guy? Well, there isn't a single one. I think it's just been lifelong there under the surface. I was probably born with the DNA somehow. (laughs) Yes. It would manifest itself in uh, little ways. I remember every now and then there'd be a foreign movie that they would dub, you know, and release in Russian theaters. And I'd go and quite often the most important thing, I would just be looking at the cars and that's what I would remember. Mm -hmm. Or you see a news broadcast from abroad and my first reaction is, how can that reporter stand there and not notice all the cars going by? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of always been there. Just real quick to go back on the mantras and the business. So I mentioned there were several. The second one, second most important one that I've come up with is that Money is not everything. It's what you get everything with. It's it's a matter of perspective. And if you really think about it, you know, businesses, I mean, some businesses are focused primarily on money and that's fine, you know, just buying, selling stuff. But when you're in a business that creates stuff, money is not necessarily the object in and of itself, the, the business and the product is. And so sometimes you need to take uh, the extra steps and do things more carefully and do them right even if it isn't as profitable immediately as just throwing something out the door and it would serve you better in the long time, long term. Sure. But on the other hand, money is fuel to the business. And there are people who get too much into the passion and the product and forget about that part of it. And then, of course, you know, it runs out and have to call it a day, go home. So as an entrepreneur, actually, one of probably the most important job that I do is fundraising and making sure in or sales and in whatever form it comes, Mm -hmm. we have to have the fuel. So it's kind of a constant thing 
in daily operations. It's focus on the product, but don't forget the money. <laughs> Absolutely. Very important. How about some of the roads you've driven down? I'd love for you to share a challenge you've had in your business or even a great failure. But the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame it and what you learned from that experience. Well, there's been a number, and some of them are on the blog. And the one that I really really stands out is our 2012 Pikes Peak Adventure. We decided to do Pikes Peak because it's really the only international level race where that's accessible to a newcomer without a big budget i mean big racing series you know they the rules are created to create to have close racing and so the teams who have been at it for a long time have the budget and have what it takes to get the minute advantages that are necessary they're they're going to win Mm -hmm. you know we can't you know grand dam a single race costs a couple hundred thousand dollars from what i'm told so for us, being a newcomer and being uh, on a very, very tight budget, but also wanting to prove our theories and wanting to show that the stuff re- that we're designing really works, that was a perfect venue because unlimited classes, anything goes. You bring um, a machine gun to a knife fight, you can really win. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that was basically the idea. And of course, then... The whole issue of well, money is not everything, but we do need to get to get it somewhere. And we did a crowdfunding campaign, and we've um, asked some of our customers for support. The details are on the blog, but basically, we designed the car from scratch, built it. Uh, we started doing that in March, which is about now, and the race is in June. And on May fifteenth, I remember we had a frame. We had some parts, we had zero money, and we had testing at on the mountain at Pikes Peak in three weeks. Mm. And we got together. It's like, how are we going to do this? Yeah. Uh, and the engine wasn't done. Transmission wasn't – well, it was still in England, actually, for that. Uh, it was on the way. And – Basically, I reached out to one of our customers who had bought a D1, which is on which the Pike Speak car is essentially based, and said, "Hey, can we borrow the drivetrain from your car? Engine, suspension, everything." And he said, "Yeah, sure." Nice um, guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's what we did: as we grabbed the Pike Speak frame, um, tweaked the bodywork, uh, grabbed the engine and uh, suspension, and a lot of the interior from the D from the customer D one, and we put together this car, and it was on its wheels June fourth, I believe. I have to look at the block to look at the exact date. And so we just loaded it up in the van in the trailer. And of course, we have we had the three of us were a three person company at the time, and we had two interns, and that was the entire crew. We all piled into the van, and of course, we couldn't afford to pay for the hotel for everybody. So I basically just drove twenty five hours straight through. Oh gosh! Uh, from Portland to Colorado Springs, we unloaded and put the car on the track for the first time at uh, Colorado Springs. They have a little uh, circle track there with an infield testing, and it ran. And we had a bit of a laundry list of things to take care of. And then we were ready for the testing. And testing at Pikes Peak is pretty grueling. It's a public road that's open from 9 a.m., so they close it overnight and you're on the mountain 3 a.m. at uh, 10 to 14,000 feet. You're waiting, unpacking, setting everything up, waiting for first light. 
then you do your three, four test runs, and then you're done by 9 a.m., and then the next day you repeat on a different section. Mm -hmm. So adjusting to the altitude, adjusting, trying to work under those conditions, and the car is completely untested, in a very real way, there is life on the line. You know, uh, uh, David Donner, who drove for us, he's a veteran at um, Pikes Peak, but this was the first year the whole course had been paved, and it was a learning experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so just figuring out what it, what needs to get done and just getting it done, uh, no matter what. It really kind of opened my eyes. If you don't give up, if, if you look at it, okay, well, here's a challenge. I'm going to look for a way to overcome this. And uh, we did it. You know, we, we got the testing done. Then we drove 25 hours back uh, oh, to Portland. <laughs> and so we had a list. We had to do suspension updates. We had to do aero development because we weren't getting any downforce. And those things are on the blog, too, for those who want to see the full story. But basically, then they had the fires in Colorado, which actually bought us another month of prep, which we sorely needed. Mm-hmm. And then oh, for the race was a repeat of the same thing. Again, drive straight through, do the qualifying. And then the race itself was very challenging too. Uh, right before David was set to go, the car before him, Paul Allenbach, he uh, took off. And then 30 seconds later, he went off the course into the trees. And fortunately, he was okay. But it was a really, you know, he was helicoptered out and we had to wait quite a bit to find out you know, what happened and that right. he was actually all right. And they're all, all the drivers are friends up there. So, of course, here's yeah. David sitting on the starting line in the car in the baking sun and wondering, uh, you know, if his friend is okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. so that was the challenge. When they finally opened the course, you know, some 40 minutes later, he was right on the spot. I mean, all of this happened and, okay, now go. <laughs> yeah, and you and you only get one shot at it. Yeah, and that was the longest ten minutes in my life, probably because the radio coverage. I mean, the cor- the event is run very well, but the radio coverage that year was pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, here there is a car on the course, and they're just talking about his family history, all that. No updates, no nothing, and so we're standing there, you know, just wondering. Did he finish? Is he still running? You know, and then eventually the word comes that he finished with a 10:04. We almost got under 10 minutes that year, and um, we're, we ended up being only 18 seconds off of the new overall record. Wow! Which you know, for a crowd-funded car built by three people, yeah, you know, in the space of a few months, and kind of with borrowed drivetrain and all of that, I think we did pretty good. I think so. <laughs> and we're actually doing it again this year with a different car, so that'll be a whole different adventure. Whole another um, story. Yeah, fantastic. I've had several guests here on Cars Yeah that have run that. Jeff Ward, of course, who's run Pikes Peace. Bruce Canapa has been on the show, who's run it, and uh, several mm-hmm. others. So, uh, yeah, it's a daunting test. I'll let shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share an aha moment you had in your business. It's one of those times when you realize that an idea or a concept was really going to make it well um the closest to that i have and it's and it's what led me actually down the design path it, it's not a, exactly what 
the business aha moment, but it, it gave me the inspiration to move forward with, with what I'm doing. I've had a bunch of cars by then and uh, different ones and learned something from each one. And I had a Westfield kit that I built with a motorcycle engine. Uh, and there were some things that were great about it. It's basically a Lotus 7 clone. And some things that I wish I would change. And I was um, going through figuring out, well, what would I change about it? And then at the same at the same time, I've been in contact through well through my blog. People would contact me, and uh, some Formula SAE students were looking to possibly add all-wheel drive to their car because they were having trouble putting the power down. It's, those are very lightweight cars that students put together for competition. And I kind of came up with an idea. Uh, based somewhat on the shifter cart that I had. So if you put the engine beside the driver, it would kind of balance out, and then you can run a chain to the front and back and do all-wheel drive that way. It would be very lightweight, very compact. And the students look at it and say, well, no, that's too risky, too complicated. Uh, We'll just stick with a tried and true. And it just hit me, well, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. Fine. (laughs) And that's how the idea for my DP1 was born. And I thought I was going to be done in about a year. It took four roughly before it actually ran and i learned a tremendous amount doing that because i had you know i was basically a computer geek trying to build a car from scratch and with a lot of crazy ideas that nobody's done before Mm -hmm. and whenever i look at it uh, it's something new you know normal people's reaction is well how do you know it's going to work and my reaction is well how do you know it's not going to work (laughs) <laughs> you know, why, why don't we just try this? And then, but I also kind of, I'm a realist and I say, well, nobody's done this before. It's either I'm brilliant or I'm stupid. You know, there, there's either I discovered something great or there is a very good reason why nobody's done this before or nobody's doing it is because they probably tried and it didn't work. But for me, the joy and the challenge is in actually finding out, well, which is it? Am I brilliant or am I stupid here? And um, I'm not afraid of either answer. <laughs> and it's, I'm always uh, just curious to find out, well, how does it work? And I tried some things that from that car that worked out really well, like the suspension geometry and the overall layout and the all-wheel drive has really been working great. That's what we used on the Pike Speed car. That's what we're using in the D1 and uh, we're building a 360-horsepower D4 right now that only weighs 900 pounds with all-wheel drive, and it just works beautifully. Some of the other things uh, I tried, like a center-mounted front brake, uh, didn't work as well. <laughs> there were some technical issues with it that I hadn't thought of, but once I tried it, I realized, okay, well, now I know why nobody's doing this. And it was still a hobby at that time, but it really gave that kind of transition between wanting to improve on a kit and the idea, okay, well, this is how you put a whole lot of power in a very small, light car. And yes, this can actually work. That that was basically the transition, the beginning of the slippery slope from where I was kind of a normal person with a hobby to where the hobby eventually took over my entire life. And now <laughs> the life revolves around cars and and really everything we do is uh, car related speaking of cars what was your first really special car and can you share a memory you had with that vehicle well the very first one was a fiat x19 uh it was a 1974 i bought it in cleveland 
And those who've lived in Cleveland know there's salt on the roads, and uh, Italians did not design their cars for that environment. <laughs> I bought it. Uh, I was still in high school. I was 16, I think. And I, I bought it. It was 40 miles away from the house. And I was just so excited to have this car. And it's been one of my favorites. And now the dream coming through true and so i got in it and i drove it home and as i was driving all the electricals started going out uh -oh. and the rain started and the wipers quit and and then finally i got it in my mother's driveway and the car died completely and it took me another three months to get it working again but it was you know it was mine it was a car I actually had the dream car even though i couldn't quite use it yeah <laughs> it was uh, in many ways it was symbolic of of the journey you know you you think of it you you have this dream in your head and then uh you actually go about attaining it and what you discover is uh Things are different than what you would imagine. Yes, they are. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you could have back? The M Coupe, definitely. The M Coupe, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I just love that car, the the character and the feel. I've actually had two of them, and the second one. I intended to hold on to forever, but uh, by then the DP1, my first car, the hobby was kind of getting out of hand, and I had to pay for the tooling for the body work and all of that, so I sold it. That happens to the best of us. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, there's a number of things. Again, we're, we never work on just one. The current Pike Speak project, uh, it's based on uh, our D2, which is a streetable car powered by a GM LS engine. So it's a two-seater, and it's been our most popular model. So for Pike Speak, we're putting an LSA engine in it. So it'll be about supercharged. About 575 horsepower, about 1,800 pounds. Wow. We're at the same time, we're redesigning the bodywork for it, and that's a little bit behind schedule, so we'll need to really push forward on it. But in many ways, we're definitely further away, uh, further along um, with the Pikes Peak effort than we were in 2012 at the same point. But yeah. we still have a huge amount of work. I mean, we have the frame, we have the engine, we have the sequential transmission, we have the suspension all worked out and designed. Uh, we still need to do the body work, we still need to do the aerodynamics, um, a lot of testing. So, and of course, the logistics and, and all of that. It, it'll be a really exciting adventure. I think it will be. <laughs> Here's a very introspective question for you, Dennis. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, it would be definitely one of my own because they are an expression, you know, the, the ultimate uh, form of self-expression for me. So my cars are me <laughs> in that way to ter turn the question around. And they each say something. For example, a D4 is the what I envision to be the perfect track day car. You can tow it with a Fiat. It's faster than the GT3 Cup. It just performs well and it's focused. It gets the job done without distractions and it knows what it is and what it isn't and i'd say you know if i were to flatter myself i would i would say that about myself <laughs> you know the d1 of course is uh, another side where it's just absolutely crazy it's 430 horsepower and an 1100 pound car and then wow it has everything that's necessary to make that work mm -hmm. even though it sounds absolutely crazy and unmanageable but it has the features like the all-wheel drive, the suspension, all of that, and the safety, you know, to really put it together and make it 
what on paper is an absolutely insane proposition, actually very usable and workable in real life. And that's another part of myself where, yeah, I do insane things or what may seem like insane, but there is a method to the madness. And when you look for a way, you can find a way to make it work. (laughs) I love that. That's fantastic. We're about to enter the last lap. But before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem, seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kids' car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. All right, Dennis, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you're a guy who's used to being on the track. The white flag is out. And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you're ready? Absolutely. Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, it's very simple. Don't give up. That works for life and business and on the track as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And it it's really... Uh, that that's what it boils down to is if you have a dream or if you have trying to do something, not giving up is is eighty percent of it. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? It's the way I look at things, and I always analyze uh, the situation. I'm I'm pragmatic. I look at it. Um, I see what I figure out what's necessary to get things done, and then I just focus on that. There you go. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners you're really fond of? Well, actually, it, that would be my blog, I think. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, it really has something for everyone. And I've had a lot of different cars. Uh, you know, I even have a picture of a Scion XB on two wheels on there in the chicane at oh, PIR. Wow. I've kind of tried them all, basically everything from, um, you know, things like the Scion to the V10 M5 to various Lotuses and, of course, my own. And for somebody looking for uh, a lot of different perspectives on different cars uh, and what it's really like to live with them and what I've learned from them, um, I think it would be um, a pretty interesting thing for somebody to go through. Great. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you think our listeners should get their hands on? Well, those who are interested in uh, possibly building their own car or at least understanding what it takes, there is a book by Kurt Belinsky called The Kimini. It's, uh, and he basically took 10 years to build a tube frame mini from scratch, and uh, he documents all his discovery uh, and what it, what he's learned from it and the, sor- the sources and how he went about it. Uh, so I think it's pretty interesting, and I've communicated with Kurt over the years uh, over emails, and I watched his progress, and he's watched mine, and he actually went as far as to write a whole book about it. And I, I think it's uh, a pretty interesting read for somebody who wants to learn about that kind of stuff. Fantastic. 
Listeners, you can find links to these resources at carsyad.com slash Dennis Palatov. And Dennis's last name is spelled P-A-L-A-T-O-V. And we'll make sure that a link to his blog gets up there as well. All right, Dennis, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost. Today, I'm funding everything. All right. I like that. <laughs> you like? I, I thought you'd like that. What would that one vehicle be? And why? That would be the original uh, 74 LP400 Countach Lamborghini. Oh, yes. Is that the, the Periscopo? Yes, yes, that's the one. And it's a significant car to me in many ways. It was designed by a small team in a very short period of time. It has a lot of breakthrough technologies. It also has breakthrough styling. And it has the transmission mounted ahead of the engine, drive shaft going back through the engine to the diff. And it's really... A masterpiece in countless ways. And I had a poster of it on my wall, like I'm sure yeah, you know, many other kids did. Yeah. <laughs> the other kind of, the flip side of it is it's also a cautionary tale because the 25th anniversary version of that car 25 years later is one of my least favorite cars. Mm. And they've added all kinds of, you know, they haven't improved any of the technology. They hadn't involved any of that really, but they added a lot of little doodads to it and spoilers and scoops and what they thought was fashionable. You know, the original designer was long since gone from the project and somebody with obviously a lot less talent uh, got involved. And it's, you know, kind of a cautionary tale of creeping mediocrity. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it can overwhelm brilliance if given the chance. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I was lucky enough to visit in 2011, I believe it was, the Lamborghini factory and they had that first car there and it is the simplicity yet the elegance and the insaneness of it at the time when you think about it well and even still yes <laughs> absolutely i have a good friend mike who just celebrated a birthday the other day and he has a countach not the first version i believe it's the second or third version it was before they got too crazy with all the doodahs mm -hmm. as you say i've been fortunate enough to get a ride in that car and it's just a amazing car and one of my my guests steve anderson who's an illustrator had one of those cars he called it a rolling coffin <laughs> because he said it was just a very challenging car to drive around in because you just can't see anything out of the car but it was also one of his favorites so it was kind of a love-hate Kind of like your old version and later version for you. But uh, yes, the old ones, I think, are really spectacular. Just beautiful cars. And uh, Classic Driver w website just did a, a special on that car as well on their, mm -hmm. uh, their post today. Dennis, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would. I knew we'd get on the track and have some fun going real fast. And I really <laughs> enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset? in that Lamborghini Countach? Uh, absolutely. Always look for a way. Don't look for excuses. Right. <laughs> That's the one thing I can tell anybody. It's great, a great message for entrepreneurs, business people, uh, people doing anything in life. I think it's fantastic. And it's definitely what you have done. Uh, a young man who came over from Russia and found his way and uh, has found his passion uh, in a bigger way as well. I think it's a fantastic story. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? The blog is at dpcars.net, uh, and that's regularly updated still. I keep it going, so uh, that's where people can keep up with it. And I we also have a Facebook page, uh, Palette of Motorsport, that kind of I use as an RSS for the blog. And then, we, of course, we have the palette of .com website. 
Well, listeners, again, you can find links to all of these fantastic sites that Dennis has shared with us at carsyad.com. Just put Dennis in the search box. His show notes page will pop right up with links to everything. And if you get down to uh, Portland, Oregon, or up to Portland, wherever you're coming from, I think you should uh, visit his shop and check out these uh, incredible cars that he's building. They're just fantastic. Dennis, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences today. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.